Parked up. Powered by Race Fuels. Episode 18 of Parked Up, powered by Race Fuels. My name's Grant Rowley, and in the chair right next to me at a good 1.5 <laughs> metres is Tony Delberto. Tony, thanks for joining us again. Mate, it's my absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. No worries. Again, for the 18th time in a row. I think this is probably the most we've actually seen each other ever. Nah, that's not fair. But but maybe. Mate, like, you know, like regularly, regularly. For sure. Anyway, look, I, I just need to bring something up really quickly, man. Go. How many times have I told you that I'm not a fan of the opening music <laughs> a couple but um like life is busy at the moment you know there's so much to do tony and uh i thought we we got onto something nice easy with that uh with our opener so okay nah, i think it needs a tune up all right all right i promise next week we'll have a new... is it just you it might be me <laughs> we'll, we'll change it for next week i've okay. got an idea about something but not for episode 18 right the, the John Bow episode. We'll go for something different in episode 19. Okay, gotcha. Okay. The Jonathan Webb episode. Yes. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, you're listening to Parked Up. We're powered by the Race Fuels, which is one of the best and only suppliers of the racing fuels that you need to put your race car on the track, whether you're grassroots, hill climber, or a state racer, or competing in the supercars championship they all use race fuels so it's the only place to go and get your fuel to go racing tony we're still not racing that much you and i based down here in melbourne and from a couple of days time we're going to be forced to wear masks oh man victoria has absolutely lost the plot and uh, while i agree that we need to wear masks and we need to do everything we can it just seems absolutely brutal compared to the other states where we're really isolated down here in Victoria and watching everybody going racing on the weekend and people testing in Queensland and, you know, all the teams are going to Darwin and you just, you're like, hello, hello, no, we're what about in. me? We're stuck. We're yeah, stuck. It's, it's nuts. So, I mean, I've been wearing a mask most of the time at work anyway. But then to now wear it in in a social environment, I guess, or even when you're driving your road car down the road. I mean, I, I was literally laughing at people the other day for wearing their mask in their car, you know, and now we're going to be one of them. Yeah, so um, I think there's a very good opportunity, though, for particularly race drivers to start having some really cool-looking... Branded. Um, ...masks. So similar to, like, helmet designs, you mm. know. You've got to wear your colours on your face now and uh, maybe sell some space what what is the what's the space worth on the front of a uh, face mask well it's very prominent uh, and if you think about like a driver's helmet the front is get that's what gets all the money so i've already pitched a honda about a honda mask uh <laughs> justin from honda was was all for it so uh, <laughs> i'm gonna try and get them sorted before the first round of tcr at Sydney Motorsport Park, maybe in September. So I've got a little bit of time. So we have to, uh, now when we leave our homes, we've got to remember keys, wallet, mm-hmm. phone, face masks. Yes. So I think I'm going to definitely need a uh, my face mask on a key ring or something yeah. just to make sure that that thing always comes. It's a 200-odd dollar fine. Yeah, well, I mean, I've got uh, a few in my car all the time. So yeah, if I do leave one at home, I've got another few in my car. But... You know, to buy those masks, those blue ones that basically everybody's wearing, they're almost a dollar each. 
So, I mean, it's cheap compared to the fine. Don't get me wrong. But and you don't want to be getting any of the COVIDs either. So no, it's also cheap for sure, in that regard. For sure. But how the hell are we going to keep a mask on a three or four-year-old kid? Well, I think the rules actually... Five-year-old kid. Six-year-old. No, they're not going to. So you won't be fined for 12 and unders. Okay. There's okay. an ex- there, there they you get, go. They get exempt. At least they've thought about that because I'm thinking... My kids can't keep their clothes on for more than five minutes. <laughs> oh, dear. The joys of being a parent. So, Tony, big weekend of racing that we uh, that we just saw, and we'll talk uh, a lot about uh, the supercar stuff uh, very soon. But we had supercars. We had Super 2, Super 3, Formula 1, MotoGP, IndyCar. Man. TCR was racing in Italy, I saw. The only thing that's not racing is your category, <laughs> TCR Australia. But that's good in a way because... No, it's good because I get time to watch all this other racing going on. <laughs> It'd just be nice, you know, if it wasn't all on the same weekend because I had uh, a little, f- uh, you know how your phone comes up with how much screen time you've been using lately? And mine was like off the charts over the weekend because I literally just had my mobile going all the time, no matter where I was, um, earpiece in, trying to keep up with all the racing because mm. it was just absolutely flat out. We saw some awesome racing though. Good uh, especially at Sydney Motorsport Park, again, in all the different categories, uh, Formula 1, F2, F3, like it was just insane. Yep, lots of racing, and to keep satisfying your racing urges, we've got a couple of awesome guests, Tony D, Jessica Dane from Triple Eight Race Engineering, and we'll also be part of a new commentary team that we'll talk about very shortly. Plus, we're talking to... Paul the Dude Morris. Wow, there's some uh, amazing guests for episode number 18 of Parked Up. Yep, but before we talk to them, here's the news. Okay, so let's quickly tick off what happened uh, overseas. Lewis Hamilton won his second straight F1 race, this time in Hungary at the Hungara Ring Circuit. It's one of my favourite tracks on any computer game. I love uh, driving around that joint. Uh, Max Verstappen second, and he's probably the most newsworthy because he crashed on the mm. uh, in the warm-up and then uh, the team fixed the car on the grid and he still came through to second place. Um, Tony, as a driver, that must have been like he must have felt pretty bad on the grid while the team were fixing up, you know, essentially his, his mistake. Yeah, I think it's just embarrassing, probably more than anything. Uh, we all know the credentials of Max Verstappen, so no one's questioning his credentials. But to crash on the parade lap to the grid, not even the warm-up lap where you're trying to get heat in your tyres. I mean, they sit in the grid for you know probably 30 minutes or so with the tyre warmers back on. The only thing I can suggest is he was trying to see how much grip the circuit had in those sort of wet, slippery conditions. He's overcooked it. And I tell you what, he didn't look like he was going that fast. But then when he was all locked up heading towards the fan, you think, geez, they're going really quite quick, even at probably, you know, 50% of the speed that he could do. So a little bit embarrassing. Really good, though, uh, for the team to fix that because it was quite a big hit. You know, the front wheel was, wasn't pointing the right direction. Obviously, had to repair the nose, which is quite a simple one. But just to make sure, sh- you know, put the wheel back on, make sure the geometry was fairly close. And then, you know, Max straight away in the race was was uh, going for it and uh, picking up positions like we'd expect him to do in those slippery and wet conditions. Yep, good res- good result for the Red Bull racing team. Would have been a bit uh, stressful there. Uh, I'll tell you one thing that's stressful, though, is the poor old Haas team made the guru call with uh, one of their cars started on intermediate 
um, wet tyres and one the other started on full wet tyres. And the team made the call to quickly come in before the race started to change to slicks, so starting from pit lane. But then they got penalised for the pit crew making that call and telling the drivers to come in. Now, now I understand that that, that is one of Formula One's rules mm. that you can't have the team make calls for you. But I thought this was a team sport, damn it. Oh, that's ridiculous. You know, those guys are trying so hard to get a result and to, you know, get a penalty just because of wording, you know, over the radio to me is is crap. So uh, that's a real shame for those guys. But, you know, I suppose they've got to play by the rules. But it's not really in the spirit of team sport. And uh, I think that's a bad call by Formula One. Yeah, I love the fact that racing motorsport has the the, the team element mm. and you can in some ways manipulate yeah, things make an influence now the michael schumacher rubens barrichello passing each other you know rubens letting michael mm. through in austria back in 2002 or whenever it was you know that was kind of taking the mick a little bit but I don't, I don't agree because it's like if that's if the team wants to do that and the driver wants to accept it then it's up to them why should they be they be stopped you know, making a call over the radio and telling their driver something they want them to do. Like, it might be within their contract or... I, I don't know. I just don't know why Formula 1 have to get involved in that sort of thing. Creates controversy. We're still talking about it today. So... I don't see it as a bad thing. Yep. Okay. Well, anyway, you and I sitting here jabbering into a microphones ain't going to get the FIA to uh, make any uh, big calls. Let's talk about some uh, racing closer to home. Scott McLaughlin, Nick Perkett, and Jack LeBrock taking a win apiece at the Truck Assist Sydney Motorsport Park. Should have been Winton event, mm. winning a few uh, snow snowboards. <laughs> Big variety in results, mm. some really good racing and um, a, uh, a bit of a victory for myself as well. With all the tyre changes, with all the things that were going on, it seemed a little obvious that when that last race came around mm. and Larco was on the broadcast telling us who's got all the best set of tyres. Yep. So a quick scan through who qualified where, yep. um, a quick list of who Larco had said <laughs> had done uh, who's got the best tyres on, a couple of little cheeky bets yeah. on the old sporting app and uh, 100 bucks in my bank. Oh, beautiful. You shouldn't be announcing it though because now Dee's going to know that you've won an extra $100. Well, she was actually with me and ah. we're both punching each other <laughs> as young Todd Hazelwood got onto the podium who was uh, paying some pretty tasty odds. The only thing that it, uh, I didn't like about what Todd did was that he didn't he didn't win because he was uh, he was paying $101 right. for the win. And I put five bucks on him and he came pretty close. But Jack LeBrock got the win. And um, awesome to see you know, someone who's been plugging away for a long time. I think I first met him when he was in Formula Ford. Mm. And he's chipped his way through all of the categories. Super 2, runner-up there. Had two very, very difficult years mm. at Techno. And really, that could have broken yep. other drivers. But um, you know, he's seen through that. He's got himself into a good team. And, and he's, yeah, ticked a big career oh, box. Absolutely. So, to get that first win is absolutely incredible for his career. Unusual circumstances, though. You know, with the tyre situation, I feel as though it wasn't... It's not that it wasn't a fair fight, but you, you only really had five or six guys that had tyres left for that third race. But you did have to execute it. There was other guys there that could have uh, won the race and they did a better job. 
Um, so congratulations to Jack and for Tickford Racing as well. They had a pretty strong weekend, really, with uh, Lee Holdsworth as well uh, getting P2 in race one. Uh, those guys are, are going pretty well. Cameron Waters, we didn't see him uh, on the podium this weekend, but uh, you know those cars collectively with James Courtney are not far away from the DJRs and Triple Eights of the world. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a it's an odd one. Like brand new winner in in supercars, we should be really really getting behind mm. Jack LeBrock here. And look again, just to repeat, we're stoked that he won. Mm. But it does just have a that minor asterisk on it. So it's like, in some ways, it's like winning a reverse grid. You still had to do the job of winning the race, but you know that the guys that are the quickest guys and the most experienced guys are behind you, and they don't really have a chance of catching you um, because of their starting position or inferior equipment or you know tires, whatever it might be. So um, it's a bit of a strange one. I like the concept of different winners and different people on the podium. It really helps the sport with sponsorship and fan engagement, all that sort of stuff. Especially in these confusing different times that we yeah. live in. It was just a bit strange though, because if you just tuned in for a short time over the weekend and you know not really a supercar fan, suddenly you see the guys that you would think that would be winning down the order a little bit and maybe a bit confused as to why. Um, and the other side of it is, Man, I was sick of hearing about tyres. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot going on, isn't there? And I know that Scaifey and Crompton have to talk about it and explain it. And for, for me as a racing fan, I get it. Like, I yeah. understand it. But you can see how some might not get it, even well, though they do a great job at explaining what's going on. The problem is you have people tuning in at different times. So they've almost got to keep repeating themselves. So if you're listening the whole day, it's like, yes, we get it. And it feels <laughs> like that's all they're talking about is tyres. And... This isn't a dig at their commentary, and it's a position that supercars and the way they've rolled out the tyre rules and all that sort of stuff, they've sort of got to explain it, and they're the ones trying to explain it to the to the fans. But it just sort of got to the point on the weekends, like, yeah, we get it. You know, can we just talk about something else? Okay, well, we won't talk about something else. I've got a, uh, a very good friend of mine who has a strong opinion on, on this, Andrew Van Lawn from motorsport.com. He's the Australian editor. Uh, and I grabbed him for a very quick chat before to see what he thought about the tyre rules and Jack LeBrock's win at Sydney on the weekend. I'm really conflicted on this because we saw three really good motor races and we've seen a new winner and they're really good things for the sport. The issue is it would be great to see Jack LeBrock take his first race win uh, in circumstances where he is going head-to-head with the absolute best drivers in the category, where he's racing the McLaughlin's and the Shane Van Gisbergen's. That's when he can say, wow, what an incredible feat to go out and win a race. But those guys, they effectively weren't in that race because of these rules. So this isn't some sort of tear-up on Jack LeBrock. It's not to say that, that it's an illegitimate race win, but it does feel different because it wasn't just going out there and beating everyone. It was beating the guys who were on the right strategy at the time. And in that way, it's probably not a million miles away from if it was a reverse grid race or something like that. There's always going to be that that sense that it wasn't it wasn't everything that it could have been in terms of a race win. So I feel really bad saying that because it's again, it's not a tear up on Jack, but I think we need to probably look at the rules and try and find a way to make sure that we're still seeing the sport follow some sort of narrative because random winners are fun for a little while, but eventually we're going to get tired of it because we want there to be good guys and bad guys and heroes and villains, and it needs to follow a storyline. 
and we're probably going to run the risk with these rules of there not being a storyline. This is going to happen all the time, and it's going to stop being unique, and it's going to stop being novel. So interesting comments there from Andrew. Tony, do you agree with that? Yeah, he's basically mirroring uh, what I've tried to say in the opener there, and I totally agree. You know, people are tuning in to support their uh, favourite drivers, but also um, people they admire, uh, people that have got to the point in their career where they can win races. And I think if supercars engineer it too much uh, and sort of not hand out these wins, but in, a, in effect they sort of are, it might be criticised um, going forward. So I'm not totally against it, but I think that it could be tuned up slightly. Yeah, we saw reverse grids. I think it was about 06. We saw these multi-compound mm. uh, races. It was about 09. That mm. might have been uh, you, you were racing at, yep. at that point. And, yeah, you had to, in, in that 09 era, you rolled the dice where you picked your day that you mm. were you were going to win. Now, now these, these things came and they went, and they came and went for a reason. You know, we're trying to mix it up was the reason it came and it went because it really wasn't working and it was kind of against the spirit. But I guess the only reason why I feel that it has a position in 2020 is because of what 2020 is all about. Yeah, for sure. I think probably the biggest thing with the tyre strategy is the hard tyre is such a shit tyre. There's, there's no advantage to running a hard tyre. It's not like the soft tyre peaks really quick and then drops off dramatically. If you run the soft tyre, you're always going to beat whoever's on the hard tyre. The races aren't long enough. There's not enough strategy that that comes into play. So if you've only got two sets of hard tyres for the third race, you're dusted. You know, you still got to try and do the best job you can to beat the next guy with two sets of hards, uh, but you're not going to get a result, so to speak. So really challenging. I thought the first Sydney Motorsport Park round was more entertaining, you know, just on the soft tyre, but not enough soft tyres. I thought that was good. The hard, soft compound um, option, I, I'm not sure if it worked, you know, that well. And they really needed more tyres. We saw in qualifying, especially in the shootout, there's guys on hards, guys on softs, you know, like there's two seconds between the top 15. It's just not normal. So I think uh, if they're going to do shootouts and things like that, everyone should be on a really good tyre. And you know, Scott McLaughlin made that comment after the shootout, even though he got pole, he would like a fair fight and, and uh, a bit more relevance up and down the grid. Yeah, it's it's funny that uh, we're not complaining about what's going on, but uh, like a, a month or so ago, mm. we wouldn't we wouldn't be complaining at all about anything. Just uh, the thought of having race cars on the track mm. is awesome. So um, we shouldn't lose sight. And, of, and this uh, is that. all, you know, hindsight stuff after the weekend. It could have turned out amazing and we do you know, be saying different things now. But I don't think it did. And I think uh, supercars will obviously review it. They've got uh, a lot of smart people on the board and making those decisions, smarter than what I am. But, uh, yeah, we'll see what they come up with for the Darwin double header in a few weeks. Yeah, and uh, such a shame that we won't be able to We won't be there, mate. We are locked down. So, look, uh, despite all of that, it was a really good racing weekend. Lots Mm. of passing, um, some unpredictability. Uh, so we asked our fans on the Parked Up Podcast Facebook page. Mm-hmm. It's facebook.com forward slash Parked Up Podcast. Real easy. We asked them who was the standout for the racing weekend. We picked three of the best. Here's some of our uh, computer-generated voices. The first <laughs> is Jackie Carroll. The person who impressed me was Jack LeBrock because I have watched him grow into a great racer with heaps more in the tank, and he has a brilliant family support behind him from Nikki LeBrock. 
Then Dennis Cheswick had this to say. Supercars was the best performer. Keep these formats up. The close, unpredictable racing is great for the sport. And Melissa Purnell to round it out. Jack LeBrock really surprised me. Nothing against the guy, he's a great driver. I'm just surprised that he got his first race win before many talented drivers like Andre, Anton and Todd. He never gave up through a tough time at Techno, and now he is being rewarded for his resilience. A big congrats to him and the Tickford team. What do you think of my computer <laughs> I just, voices? I love them, actually. I was in the car the other day with Oscar, and he uh, was absolutely losing it listening to it. He's laughing so hard. He, he loved those voices, so I'm a big fan of that. Yep, there's, um, there's, a, <laughs> there's a couple of uh, uh, different names, uh, different uh, countries you can pick from. So I think I went with some uh, uh, American and UK-style uh, voices there. So um, hope you all enjoyed that <laughs> and hope you weren't confused by w what was going on. We also had Super 2 and Super 3 for the first time, yep. class racing. Uh, I have no doubt that you watched every single lap of all of that as well. <laughs> What, what was your take? I didn't watch every single lap, but I did tune in for the first race in particular. And uh, Thomas Randall, you know, didn't quite get the win there. Uh, Will Brown outfoxed him at the restart. And it sort of came out after the race that Thomas actually was slowing down because he'd seen a yellow flag, even though the safety car had pulled in. So there was a little bit of confusion there. But the way Will Brown just tucked himself up the inside. Very Van Giz-esque. Yeah, very. we saw that a few years ago with Van Giz and McLaughlin and just pounced at that opportunity and got in front and that was it. Thomas couldn't do anything about it. But then on Sunday, Thomas dominated the weekend. Yep, qualified on pole both times. Mm -hmm. uh, second in the first race, first in the second race. He leads the series, Matthew White Motorsport, and now the team, the Super 2 team that has the most pole positions in the in the history of that category. Isn't it funny, though? The Nissans are so competitive with Matt White running the show, and that's no dig at Kelly Racing, but they seem to be the car to have. Yep. Well, they're definitely the car to have, and Thomas leads the series, and I grabbed him for a quick chat. Look, it was an awesome weekend up at Sydney Motorsport Park for the resumption of our, our championship. It's been, it had been nearly a five-month break, so I was getting pretty sick of that simulator, but uh, it was fantastic to, to get the Sky Sands Nissan some couple of pole positions and a race win on Sunday, but uh, yeah, it didn't come without a hiccup on Saturday night with the 15-second penalty, which was able to be overturned after uh, Craig Baird looked at my onboard. There was a bit of a kerfuffle with the... There was a yellow flag still being displayed. So um, that was it was great that Craig was able to grab my onboard vision and realise that uh, because not many other people could see that. So uh, to grab second on on the Saturday after all that drama and then come out with guns blazing on Sunday, grabbing yeah the second pole of the weekend and another race win was fantastic. So to be leading the championship as well and extend that advantage after Sunday's race is, is fantastic. So, yeah, just want to thank uh, everyone who's been supporting me, uh, Sky Sands, ACT Fanside de Vilbus, and we had a couple of new supporters on for the weekend as well with uh, Herzog Steel, exclusive building group and Weber Store. So, yeah, roll on to wherever the next round might take us. And Thomas never, ever, ever misses a sponsor. He always gets them every time, <laughs> rolls them out, and he's absolutely perfect with him. I love him for that. He's also got another motor race to compete in this weekend, Tony. Have a listen to this. Yeah, so I'm doing a, a six-hour karting enduro this weekend at Circuit Mark Webber in Canberra. 
I got invited by a good friend of mine, Cameron Crick. Uh, so, yeah, it's one of his friends, David Zammett, who needed a co-driver. So I thought the, the Super 2 round on the weekend was a good warm-up for this massively important uh, go-kart race in Canberra. So just something, something a bit extra and a bit of fun, considering, yeah, going back to Melbourne's probably not the, the most ideal thing to be doing. So, yeah, just going to spend another week up here and, yeah, big, big, preparation for this for this karting enduro so there you have it thomas is staying north of the border he's a victorian but he's staying uh, up in that part of the world to race in a karting race while he's up there before he comes back to victoria and gets locked down he's doing a six hour four stroke kart race which sort of reminds me of a a little kart race that we did once upon a time yeah we actually did a 24 hour kart race with seven drivers, I think. Yeah, was there it? was lots of us. Yeah, m- myself, you, Dale Breed, Matt Skinner, young kid, young, yeah, young Carter. Kid. Yep. I think Jason Varley was part of our team. Yep. Uh, I can't remember everybody else. And somebody's going to ring me up and, and abuse me for not remembering. <laughs> but it was a very long time ago. I just remember how bloody cold it was that overnight doing those stints. Yeah, yeah. 24-hour race around Kembla Grange, which is seriously like a 550-metre track. I knew every last, I knew that track quite well, but I definitely knew every last little ripple strip and yep. uh, patch of Man. patch of concrete uh, by the end of that one. I was so sore after that, I remember. And you wouldn't believe, like, that was my first year as being a journo, and I was not surprised to find out that I'd been given the 2 to 4 a.m. stint. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't come as a surprise to me at all. The other big news that we had... Tony D this week was the announcement of a nine person commentary lineup Jeez. for the Seven Networks return to motorsport with the Australian Racing Group. Uh, it's going to be Shannon's, more commentators than drivers. All these people will be talking at the Shannon's Motorsport Championships coverage that uh, hopefully goes to air. Uh, starting in September, that's for TCR, S5000, Touring Car Masters, Trans Am, some of the Porsches mm. and, a, and a host of others. So uh, it's a big, it's a big lineup, I guess. Um, <laughs> so I, I actually made the little graphic of all the little heads. And when yeah. you see all the heads there, you think, wow, that's a, that's a lot of people. <laughs> it's like, uh, you know, uh, a crowd at, the, at a podium when they're all cheering. Like you see the amount of people that are going to commentate these uh, these events is huge. So, yeah, but you've got some uh, big names there, though. There are some big names. It's mm. great that Mark Beretta has, uh, has joined in, obviously did a lot of supercar stuff back when Seven the host broadcaster mm. so he certainly knows his way around around the field and a thorough professional as well and just brings that extra bit of professional um look look mm. to it all as well you know we see him every morning on breakfast television and to have him helping call the shots for the tcr australia's and the s5000s is only brings that uh, extra bit of credibility to it yep. um abby way is in there as well so she's done a lot of sports media um she was also a host on house rules so uh, you know a lot of uh, credibility mm. in the uh, mainstream worlds uh, she hasn't done too much in motor racing so mm. tony you'll have to be uh, very gentle oh look i'll bring her up to speed don't you worry about that now don't tell steph but i did do a little bit of instagram stalking just to see uh who abby is good choice i like <laughs> it <laughs> 
and by all accounts, a ripper, ripper chick as well. So we can't wait to work with her. And then a host of others from uh, the Greg Russ and Matt Nolte and Richard Crail who will bring it, bring mm. it all to life for yep. us from the com box and then down in pit lane, Cameron Van and Duggan. Uh, Jack Perkins, who we know is a, a an absolute solid media performer, mm. also drives race cars pretty well as well. And then two rookie females, mm. uh, Molly Taylor and Jessica Dane. So we know both of those guys really well from being race drivers or being involved with race teams. We actually announced Molly earlier this year oh, that she's going to be on the park, commentary team. It was a parked up exclusive. It was, it was, and we we don't have an exclusive, but we're going to grab Jessica Dane now for a bit of a chat. Yep, you're absolutely right, Tony. We are going to speak to Jessica Dane. She is the Commercial Operations Chief at Triple Eight Race Engineering, the team that's uh, uh, mainly owned by her father, very successful father, Roland Dane. She's also involved in a myriad of other businesses mm. and initiatives all around the world. Mm -hmm. And we're going to grab her for a chat right now. Tony D, our first guest, hit the buttons. And it's great to have Jessica Dane join us on this episode of Parked Up. Jess, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Hi, everyone. And uh, it's a, a weird old time in the world out there with the coronavirus ruling everything. Just to uh, give our listeners a little bit of an insight into your COVID-19 story. My COVID-19 story. God, it sounds like something out of a horror film, doesn't it? <laughs> it does. Um, it really does. <laughs> we've each got our tales of tragedy and woe. No, not really. <laughs> Unless you own Zoom, then they're very happy. <laughs> um, now, over at uh, over here at Triple Eight Race Engineering, we had um, a big shutdown for maybe like five weeks after the Grand Prix, and there were a few of us who kept working throughout that. So, as many people know, we were building a ventilator and um, prototype ventilator, and we produced a few versions of that, and have been working closely with government. Um, both state and federal, um, and even at times with the World Health Organization on that, which has been an awesome project. So I stayed um, ticking over and, and keeping the that and the sponsorship side of things, our partnerships ticking over. And then we came back to work, yeah, after we got everyone back after maybe five or six weeks. And then, yeah, since then we've been itching to get back racing. We've now got two rounds under our belts which for me personally, the hardest thing about all of this has been staying in the same place for this long. I can't, and by, by no means am I the longest person in this. You know, we've got guys who have been on the traveling circus since the late nineties, but staying in the same place for this long, for the first time since 2012 has been, um, it's been really, really tough. That's been the hardest. I love planes. I love hotels. I love living out of a suitcase. So to be this stationary for this long, especially when I had so much international travel planned this year with all of my various commitments around the world, um, it's uh, that's been the hardest thing. But, you know, we're gradually getting there. So we'll just have to keep positive and keep pushing on and keep taking each day as it comes, really. Supercars has done an awesome job just to get the show going and to have those two events at Sydney uh, despite all of the challenges, has been a, uh, just a breath of fresh air, really, um, and, and just a little bit of normality, even though there's a lot of different things that, um, that we see on the television and, and how the races are, are, are being held and all of that. What, what's your take on how Supercars has handled the situation? Oh, I think you're spot on. I think this has really shown the importance of solidarity 
and how we can all be team players, not just in our own teams, but as a family in our whole industry. And this goes not just only in, in each category or each discipline, but um, across entire industries. So, you know, you've got um, different categories of motorsport working together to work out how to do it. You've got different sports working together on how to keep our industries alive. And I think that the the ways in which people have been flexible has um, has been really impressive. I think in motorsport, one of the key factors of success is the ability to adapt and be, be flexible and think on your feet. And the motorsport, the supercars community, uh, the motorsport community has really shown that we can think outside the box and be flexible and adapt to situations that are completely outside of the norm as well. So I think everybody teaming together and being able to come up with solutions quickly and work together to do that and have each other's backs has been massively impressive. Jess, it's TD. Thank you very much for coming on the show. We know you're very, very busy. Now, one of your roles at Triple Eight, and correct me if I'm wrong, is the commercial operations manager. Uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about that role and what your day-to-day tasks look like? Sure. Um, yeah, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a vague kind of title, really. <laughs> um, the commercial operations, I always say, in a nutshell, is anything that doesn't directly make the cars go faster. So we're not allowed to touch anything technical, um, <laughs> but the key point of our department, our you know our four-person department, which also encompasses our team coordinator, we've got two of us who work on partnerships. Uh, one media manager and one team coordinator. And our key purpose is to basically bring in revenue um, and keep people involved in the sport in order to let the engineers spend money and make cars go faster um, and to keep the racing side of the business ticking over. And that my day-to-day role will encompass mainly keeping team partners happy. So for instance, at the moment, um, there's a lot of work going on with one partner in particular. They're rolling out an awful lot of activations in line with some branding changes coming up. And um, yeah, I'm working most closely with them at the moment on what all of these activations and rollouts look like. But then on the other side of it, there's all the things that people don't even think about come into running a race team. So things like I look after all of our relationships with um, our apparel suppliers and I, when I say apparel I don't mean the team uniform that you can buy from the shop but the um, driver's suits all the driver's kit pit crew apparel all of that um, so with our partners at OMP and although it might seem like something that you just do once a year and that's done you're set for the season um, I'm probably weekly contact with them um, so that takes up a fair bit of time and then it's all the event stuff like ride days um, memberships still get a little bit involved in the PR. Um, that that was my one of my first roles in the team was PR and media manager. So I'm still a little bit involved in that. So yeah, pretty much anything that doesn't make a car go faster. It sounds very in, involved. Now in this challenging time that we're all facing, how difficult has it been in your role in particular? And not to mention, uh, I suppose, Holden wrapping things up as well. It's definitely been a challenging year. Um, it has made us realize how fortunate we are to have such a fantastic group of people around us and how supportive everyone is, because although there have to be cutbacks and changes and reevaluations of people's approaches to their, how they do business, 
nobody wants to be making those changes. You know, if somebody mm. does have to pull a little bit of money here or there, nobody wants to be doing that. They still want to be fully supported. They still want to be involved. So it has been difficult where there have had to be um, people people pulling budget back a little bit maybe um, or capping spending. Then they've worked with us. The, probably the hardest thing has been working out how we get around those, but we've been really lucky to have people who want to work with us to uh, to get around those obstacles. Now, Triple Eight Engineering is obviously basically a family business uh, for yourself and and your father, Roland. Is Roland grooming you to take over the empire eventually? Uh, I know in in my family <laughs> business, my dad's certainly grooming me. Uh, is that the plan? Uh, not at all. He is like. <laughs> He's like, make sure you do well in your law degree because you probably won't have a job at the end of this. <laughs> thanks, thanks, Dad. Um, no, he's always approached this as he's always approached it as if I want to be here, then I have to find a way for myself mm-hmm. to be here. If that makes sense. Um, so yeah, he he gave me my first job here, which was when I was eighteen um, in two thousand and eight, which was as a, a mechanic in sub assembly. But then when I came back after I'd finished uni as PR and media manager, the original plan wasn't actually for me to be working here at all. It just happened in various ways that things fell that I did end up here. But I've always had to prove, Mm. you know, that I deserve to be here. It's not just a kind of he doesn't want me to be here and he doesn't particularly want it to be a family team. But I have to um, I have to put myself in a position to earn my stripes if um if i do want to stay here so no there's 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 no grooming whatsoever actually because um i don't think he's i think (laughs) he thinks that jamie would be the perfect person to take it over and if i want to get involved then yeah cool that's fine (laughs) it doesn't sound like your dad being a hard taskmaster though uh uh, yeah i mean anything i do do (laughs) then i'm probably uh it's widely acknowledged that i have the one of the hardest positions in the whole team mm. when i mean he comes down every he comes down on everyone hard anyway but uh, nobody envies my position that's for sure especially because i sit directly opposite him in the office which is tedious at best of times <laughs> sounds daunting <laughs> yeah that's one way of putting it now let's talk a little bit about uh, your other roles or the other hats that you put on outside of triple eight race engineering one of them in particular is uh the australian women in motorsport commission you're on the board of that as well tell us a little bit about that but also how important it is to involve women in motorsport considering it's very dominated by males yeah so the australian women in motorsport commission was new at the beginning of last year I'm chair of it, so I'm being the uh, I'm the inaugural chair, and our aim is to essentially increase female participation in motorsport, but also make it a community where women want to stay. It's all very well bringing people, bringing women into the sport, but we need to make them um, make them want to stay and really make this a good place to be. And if you're involved in the sport, then you know that you know what an awesome place it is to be and what a family a motorsport community can be. But from the outside, it might be quite daunting because it does appear to be a male-dominated industry. Mm. And as part of that role as well, I'm the Australian delegate to the FIA, Women in Motorsport Commission. Um, And the two of those commissions have quite different kind of outlooks or goals. So the FIA, Women in Motorsport Commission, is really aiming to get a crop of female drivers to the highest levels in sport around, highest levels of the sport around the world. 
Um, whereas in Australia, we're focusing more on increasing participation on a kind of broad and grassroots level. I see it as a pyramid that we need to build from bottom up to increase the number of people who we have to choose from in the first place to bring them up through the ranks of motorsport, whether that be as a driver or as an engineer or as a mechanic or however you want to be involved or officiating, you know, um, being an official, that's a that's a massive part of motorsport. We couldn't go racing without the amazing work that all the officials do. And if we need more officials, then we need to tap into that 50% of the population who doesn't make up much of the motorsport community right now. So yeah, there's uh, there's a lot of work to be done, but we're definitely making good progress. And any any environment improves with diversity because as soon as you've got more diversity, you change the way ways of working and ways of thinking. And that's how you progress. That's how you keep pushing boundaries. And that's how we'll keep moving forward and making this sport even better. You've been involved in that commission for a couple of years now. What do you feel the initial progress is like? Uh, I think because we're a new commission, there's been a lot of um, finding our feet and working out how we actually work. But now that we've kind of got that underway, we're really knuckling down at the moment. We're in the midst of putting together and really nailing our strategy plan. So we're hoping by the end of um, the next few months or by the end of the year, you know, everything like everything else, it all got put on pause because of COVID. Uh, but we're hoping certainly by the end of the year to have some some programs in place or, or have the bones of programs in place that we can start implementing and building upon and hopefully seeing that turn into results in you know, five years' time or however long each uh, each program is penciled in for. Okay, time to take off your women in motorsport hat and put on your new commentary hat. Uh, <laughs> a new role announced just last week that you'll join a nine-strong list of commentators who'll assist with the return of motorsport to the channels or screens of seven um, with the Australian Racing Group and the Shannon's Motorsport Australia Championships. So mm. um, what is the idea with yourself getting into a, a commentary role and what sort of positions do you expect us to see you on the screens of seven on? Yeah, let's just say it's lucky there's nine of us. So hopefully people won't have to see me on the TV too often. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, I'm really excited by this. I haven't done any broadcast work um well as in being the interviewer i've been the interviewee but i haven't done any broadcast work as a presenter or interviewer for um for a good eight years or so back in the uk before i moved over i had a bit of presenting experience but um i decided when i was in kind of tv land that i preferred the role of producer because i got to be more controlling (laughs) but now I'm going to have an earpiece in, um, so I'm going to have to work out how to think and ask questions and listen all at the same time, which women should be able to do because we're good multitaskers. <laughs> but um, yeah, that's I'm going to have to learn that pretty fast, I reckon. But I'm going to be working on the pit lane reporting side of it and a few colour pieces, but I think that there will be opportunities for us to get involved across the board and try our hands a little bit of everything. I mean, I love racing, so any category it is we're so lucky to be working on tcr and super 5000 which are obviously the main draw cards of these uh of these cards when we go racing but the other support categories that will be racing um everything from tcm to um porsche if if everything lines up will be absolutely awesome to uh to be involved with and start covering and just just to get to a track and watch racing again i'm so excited 
And I'm gutted that it got moved out by three weeks because it would have been, the first round would have been over my 30th birthday. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, there you go. We could have had a little celebration. Um, We're all a bit gutted at the moment. We're sort of a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel, but we're just not quite sure when that first round is going to be. Uh, we hope in September sometime, but we'll just have to see. Now, if you're going to be uh, on the commentary team, can I bribe you in any way? Can I throw some dollars in your back pocket to make sure you give me a bit of uh, myself and Honda uh, plenty of coverage? Oh, mate, I'll be bribing you to try and give me an easy time on the on the questions. I, I've already had I've already had a few people message me after the announcement. You know, I'm like, sure. Does, um, Will Brown and Garth and people saying, just so you know, I'm going to make your life really hard. And I was like, oh, <laughs> mate, I don't expect anything different. But to be honest, I will mainly be concentrating on not swearing. That's my biggest <laughs> challenge. <laughs> that is a challenge sometimes because within the motorsport crew, they, they probably don't have the, uh, they've got a bit of a potty mouth. So I find it a little bit tricky as well because when you're chatting to the boys, you, there's a few uh, swear words, but then when the cameras come on, mm. you've got to be diligent enough, I suppose, not to swear. So hopefully uh, we well, don't... It should be a little bit like having your grandmother there. You know how yes. you always watch your mouth a bit around your grandmother? It should be like I should put a picture of my grandmother on the camera so I'm constantly thinking, oh, I have to be good. Don't swear in front of, don't swear in front of granny. She well, wouldn't approve. <laughs> you're more than welcome to come and hang out with uh, our Honda Civic and wall racing whenever you'd like to, okay? So just keep that in mind. Oh, thank you. They've I always definitely been hanging around and pestering you. The, the wall racing team always have a nice little stash of lollies and treats there for you, I've found. So it's a, it's a nice place to hang out. Oh, don't get me started. If I have one, then I'll have about 18, and 18 turns into 38, no, 36. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is why I'm not an engineer. <laughs> I get one of the uh, one of the things that I guess we've noticed in the motorsport landscape, uh, the emergence of TCR has been uh, really well received in in the industry. But uh, of course, a lot of comparisons to its touring car rival. I guess a lot of people have said with the, with supercars. In your from your point of view, do you see TCR as a rival to supercars? Do you, do you think it's got a place in the local industry? What's what's your take? Oh, absolutely. I think that there's definitely space for both categories. Um, of course, there's an element of competition between them in that they're both tin top touring car categories, but anyone who loves racing will just enjoy having more racing to watch. And I think that they produce very different types of racing. They produce, uh, sorry, they attract um, different teams, different sponsors, different drivers. And, um, and I think that that diversity on the Australian motorsport landscape is, um, is beneficial. And if, it, if the other thing to think about is the fact that it is an opportunity to give drivers a platform to step up, because if you can't, maybe if you can't do Super 2, but you can do TCR or something like that, it might be a stepping stone. It's another opportunity for people to get seat time and uh, and turn a few laps and prove what they can do, which will only benefit Australia's professional driving in the long run. Now, I'm using TCR as a stepping stone. I'm hoping that if I prove myself this year, that I might get a seat at Triple Eight. What do you think? <laughs> I shouldn't say that, actually. I shouldn't say that because uh, the Shell V Power boys will be upset with me. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> I wasn't going to say anything. <laughs> now, look, uh, we want to talk a little bit about uh, Sydney Motorsport Park. 
probably not an amazing round for, for Triple Eight. What happened and uh, what did you think about the tyre situation? That's all we heard about on the commentary. Yeah, there's a lot of chat about the tyres and, and it's understandable why. I think it's it's been great for mixing up the field. One of the reasons why people turn into tune into sport is because they love the unpredictability mm. element. While we see so much live television, the consumption of live television is dropping. Sport has maintained. Sport is one of the few over the last five to 10 years that has maintained or if not grown its viewer numbers across both free-to-air and subscription TV. And one of the elements of that is the unpredictability. Mm. Um, So if we can create racing where you don't know what's going to happen and you can see see some awesome battles and some genuinely really good racing, then, um, then that's awesome. And that's really good for the sport. But on the other hand, we have to be conscious of the viewer who might be turning, tuning in and going, well, how, what, what's going on here? Like I thought that, mm. you know, Shell V Power Racing and Rebel Holden Racing Team were the top front runners, but mm. then they're kind of towards the back of the field. Like how, how does this work? And to somebody who doesn't understand how the tyres work and um, how the tyre allocations have been um have been handed out that weekend and how that split across the three races, which your kind of casual viewer tuning in who we need to try and attract Mm. doesn't necessarily understand. Um, That might be a little bit daunting for them, but for the time being in the environment that we find ourselves in with COVID and having to cut costs, having to go down to sprint races. I think that it does throw in an extra element of, uh, of excitement. And for us at triple eight, yeah, it was a pretty, uh, it was a pretty shoddy weekend. But and we're not going to pretend otherwise. We just need to work harder to uh, to find some car pace, and because that was the biggest thing. I mean, even if at the uh, at the end of the day, even if you haven't got your tire strategy right, if you have a fast car, you should be able to uh, to still yeah, be up there battling. Exactly, yeah. And so we didn't. We didn't have the fastest cars, but um, we just need to get our heads around how to approach these tire strategies. I think the way the tires rolled out, if you picked a certain strategy for the weekend that wasn't the right one and you know that now after the weekend you sort of bug it all weekend and you could not really do anything especially on Sunday uh, and I feel as though you guys were sort of in that in that zone like you, you didn't quite make the right call on tyres and then you never were able to recover for the rest of the weekend and I don't think that's down to you know not, not having the smarts but maybe just sort of being a bit unlucky and not knowing you know how the tyre was going to last and how the whole event was going to roll out so I think yeah. what you're saying is quite true. You know, we had some winners on Sunday, especially that, you know, nothing against those guys, but they're not the fastest guys on track. And it wasn't a fair fight, I suppose, is what you're saying as well. And I think that is probably more to the point. Yeah, I think um, for us, we probably thought that more people would run a similar strategy to us on Saturday night, and they didn't, and that's what hurt us. But, yeah, I think... Yeah, there, there's the fair fight. It's it's definitely that element. But if you want to create unpredictability, sometimes it can't be a completely fair fight. And you just have to put your, you either put your eggs in one basket or you spread your eggs out across the three. And now we, to be honest, didn't do either of them very well. It's obviously Scotty Mack and the guys at Shell V Power did do the latter option very well. That's why they came away with the win for the weekend. But um 
yeah, it's a, it's it's going to be a balancing act. If we're pushing forward with these tire strategies, we really have to work out um, how we balance that, and um, and just try and bank points. That's the most important thing for us to stay in championship contention. And you know, maybe we need to be a bit more of a hero at times to try and try and get a win and get ourselves up there. But certainly with Shane's championship in particular, where he's sitting seventh at the moment, which is not at all where we want to be because of that Adelaide DNF. Yeah. But he finished fourth in the points over the weekend. So it's, uh, you know, what what looked like and felt like coming out of the weekend. I mean, it felt it felt really quite miserable sitting mm. in the workshop on Sunday afternoon going, well, that, that didn't look great on paper. But, oh, wait, we're fourth for the weekend, which is actually really good. Some, some teams so, would be um, absolutely jumping up and down. Uh, with a result like that, but <laughs> exactly. I agree. You know, for for you guys, if you're not on the podium or getting pole positions or wins, it sometimes feels like a bit of a failure. Um, all that sort of stuff is hindsight, and uh, everyone will learn from that going to the next round. Obviously, Darwin double header next. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, besides the sun, that'll be nice. Well, my first thought is I'm absolutely gutted that I'm not going. Oh, <laughs> damn, Darwin is up there with my favourites. I absolutely love it. Um, I don't think I've missed a Darwin. I think since maybe 2010, I've missed like one Darwin. And that was because I was in the UK, which is fair enough reason. Um, so yeah, it, first of all, yeah, I'm, I'm devastated. I won't be there. But secondly, I think it's a, I think it's an awesome track. I would like to see across the two weekends, a bit of mix up with, um, things like tire allocations. I think what worked well at Sydney Motorsport Park was having one weekend where we were full softs and one weekend where we mixed up the compounds. So if we were to do that at Darwin, I think it could make it interesting. I'm just conscious that if we look at what Formula One did in particular, obviously they don't vary their strategies, but they had two weekends in a row in Austria. First weekend, that was incredible racing. That was so good. Obviously they just come off a long break and it was you know last man standing by the end of it because they're all dropping like flies. But then the next week, because it was just a repeat of the week before, everyone had got around that. There was no curveballs thrown at them, and it was a really boring race in comparison. So we have to make sure that we don't fall into that trap of going there and and having one stellar weekend and one average weekend. We have to make sure that we think of ways to mix it up and produce good racing across two weekends because it can be a little bit tedious going back to back at the same at the same track although having said that i think everyone's just really happy to see us racing again <laughs> and to have some entertainment so maybe people won't be too uh, too annoyed about two weekends in a row at the same track you're definitely right it uh it it is just great to be back it's a shame that we'll be stuck in our uh, homes watching watching it from tv you're absolutely right mm-hmm. the uh, going up to darwin is one of the best uh, best times of the year and unfortunately they're going to do it twice in a row and we're going to be uh, well certainly for us too we're going to be stuck down here in melbourne but it look it's yeah. not going to be too long until we see you in the flesh at a racetrack be it at supercars or at uh, at arg events working away on your new role in the commentary uh, in in pit lane in commentary so uh jess we really look forward to that and we thank you so much for joining us today on parked up no worries. Thank you for having me. And just a little um, side note, please, if you see me wandering through pit lane, don't heckle me. Just like just maybe messages of support. <laughs> make, make me feel good. No. Um, we'll yeah, make thank your you life so easy. It's been a really good chat. Thank you very much. 
We thank Jessica for her time on Parked Up, powered by Race Fuels, and she seems pretty disappointed that she's not going to be in Darwin, and I have to agree with her. Yeah, I mean, what an intelligent girl, though. Like, uh, the amount of things that she's trying to achieve and all the hats that she's got on and hats up in the air and all that sort of stuff, she's achieving a hell of a lot in motorsport, but also she's just uh, got a law degree as well. I mean, come on. These people, these successful, smart people, <laughs> makes me sick. <laughs> Chip off the old block, though. She reminds me so much of her dad when she's when she was talking and explaining things then. So logical. Uh, she's got a really good grasp on the sport, and I suppose she's learning from one of the best in the business. Yep, and she's going to be an absolute massive asset to the commentary team. It's uh, interesting that she has done some TV stuff before as well, but... Um, you know, she'll she'll talk to it uh, absolutely no ah, problem. She'll be absolutely fine. And because she knows so much about the sport and been around it so much, she'll really be able to engage with the drivers really well, the teams, and they've also got a lot of respect for her and what she's doing in motorsport. So she's going to fit in really well, a great addition to the commentary team. Yep, there we go. So from one uh, new broadcaster to another person who has carved their name in the, in the sport as a driver, but uh, now he also runs his own little media show. It's uh, the the enforcer and the dude. We're going to speak to Paul Morris, um, legendary Gold Coaster, raced in the Australian touring car scene. Bathurst for champion. many, many years, a Bathurst champion. Uh, he actually won Bathurst twice, but he's only... Uh, only gets to uh, say he won it on one occasion. Of course, he uh, he got disqualified when Craig Baird was in the car for too long in one of those super touring races. It was uh, 1997 when all that there unfolded. And uh, But he is a Bathurst champion. So we've just spoken to one of the most professional people in motorsport, in Jess, and now we're going to talk to Paul Morris, who does not care... Who he upsets. You say it how, he, how it is. There might have to be a couple of little beeps in there, uh, a couple <laughs> of little bleeps. We don't know. We'll grab him on the phone now. And it's great to welcome Paul the Dude Morris onto Parked Up Podcast. Dude, thanks for joining us. Oh, no worries, mate. Big fan of your show, so pretty excited to be on it. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, a uh, crazy world that we live in. What's your COVID-19 story been like? Mine is, uh, well, everyone's got their feet up, just keep moving forward. So a lot of people look at this as an opportunity to do nothing. I'm looking at an opportunity to keep going. What's, and and what, are those, uh, what are some of the things that you've, uh, that you've put into place? I saw uh, the Norwell Races Club was established uh, just, just recently. Is that one of the uh, big things on your agenda? Uh, that was established myself and Roland Dame. We were just sitting around one night and talking about Motorsport Australia and how it works. And I said, well, the um, Motorsport Australia is built on having a, all about car clubs. So if we have our own car club, they'll, they'll have to talk to us. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's, that's a, that's a, you don't, so you don't think they're listening to you then? Uh, well, no, it's just a system that, that um, you know, that the, how motor racing is in Australia is that it's all about car clubs and, the car clubs elect to state council and the state council elect the national council. So, yeah, I think the car club's a good idea. And as I thought, you know, we're, we're doing lots of stuff here with lots of different people and we've got a car club. We can put some structure around it and do, do some good things. 
So what's a, what's one of the first things on the agenda for the Norwell Racers car? And do you have a logo yet? No, we don't. But the first thing on the agenda is is uh, a youth junior development program. So you know, I don't I don't think for for the sports governing body they don't really have anything that, that works. And um, so that that's sort of one of the things we want to do. And you see like the the British Racing Drivers Club and people like that to have a good program that always brings young guys through and mentors them and helps them and. In, in a club environment, if you've got the right people in the club, it's something you can do and, and achieve some results with it. Dude, it's TD, mate. Uh, good to have you on the show. Uh, now, I reckon you've already got a pretty good uh, driver training and development uh, program up and running. You've got some young guys on the books and some guys that are really kicking ass out there. Uh, yeah, mate, we have. And it, it sort of all starts with, with Anton, really. I'd helped you know, younger guys in the past, like even going back to... Owen Kelly and Fabian and Alan Gurr. But uh, sort of Anton come, come along at the time where I would sort of was, wasn't really worrying about my own racing and thought, well, I'll just stick all my time into this bloke and found it pretty rewarding mm-hmm. and encouraged him to do the same. So then he's been helping Brock and, and he's been helping Brody and Brody's been helping Brock. So we're sort of building the program where everyone can have a support mechanism there and and, and help each other along. It's something that we, you know, we like if you're in trouble, you'll ring me. If I'm in trouble, I'll ring you. But there's never been any sort of formal structure there. So mm. that's really what we're trying to do is, is create something where we can get better race drivers. And some of the drivers that you're supporting actually, well, they seem to spend quite a lot of time at the Norwell Complex. Uh, are they living there? Are they just training there or they live close by? Well, if they're smart, they'd be living there. But yeah, the the key to it, like you know, the only the only practice for driving is driving. Mm. And if you can be in a car in any car and and simulate what you what you're doing, it's it's you're always learning. So that's the philosophy there. You know, the the tracks are very important part of it. And then when you get two two young guys together or even an old guy together and you sit in a car together for half an hour and you, you work on your driving technique and you try and maximise what you got, you, you find lap time. Yep. And you find lap time by switching your brain on, thinking about what your tyres are doing, being able to still think in the heat of battle and, and make logical decisions, not emotional decisions, and that's really what we're working on. And you've also just introduced Luke Yulden into your team, uh, a Bathurst winner himself and a guy that has got a huge amount of experience. Is he looking after some of the younger drivers, just maybe out of karting? Yeah, we try and spread it around a bit because our curriculum is always evolving. Mm. And you know, Luke brings stuff that, that I haven't thought of. I can talk to him about stuff he hasn't thought of. And then even the students that we get, you'll see them do something and you go, oh, I can use that. So um, it's, very, it's an open learning process. And everyone brings something to it, you know. Luke's calmness and logical thinking is, is something that is a great asset that he's got. So you know, I'm a bit more of an emotional guy. I'll get hot under the colour and want to <laughs> shove someone off the road, you know. We've, so, never, we've never seen you, that. You, you've got, you put it all together and you can help these, these younger drivers learn by all the dumb things you've done and they can take it on board and, and you know, make it work for them and, now, that's something you've seen with Brock. He's Toyota at his six, through that very quickly, Super 3 and into the Super 2. It mm. doesn't mean he doesn't make mistakes, but but it speeds up the learning process. And in the 
if you can speed up the learning process and get through those categories quicker, you, you don't need a, you know, the same amount of finance behind you. Oh, for sure. And that's sort of, that's what we had with Anton. We, we didn't have a budget. We knew we had to get through quickly. We knew we had to have a plan and that needed everyone to be on board with it. And even to the, to the, you know, having a relationship with Barry Ryan that went back to Anton's Formula Ford days was instrumental of having a plan and proving we could get to where we needed to get to. Yeah, and there's been a really big success for Anton, and he's one of those guys that is on the brink of really being an absolute superstar in supercars, if not already. Uh, Brock Feeney as well, uh, he had a great weekend at Sydney Motorsport Park, especially in qualifying. I think probably the races didn't go exactly how he would have liked, uh, but you were at Sydney Motorsport Park. What was the vibe like, and how did your drivers perform? Uh, good. Like Brock's, Brock's strength is qualifying because... That's something we work on all the time. Is mm-hmm. one lap pace at Norwell? He, he starts for his weakness, so as you know, that can be a bloody hard, a difficult thing in a, in a supercar. It's, it's a simple process, but if you overthink it, you can fuck the thing right up. <laughs> it's very easy to do. So um, you know, that's one thing we've got to work on. But the vibe there was, you know, it was it was a bit like being at a wake. You know, it wasn't like mm. being at a race meeting. So it was exciting to once the racing got started, but in the pit lane and walking around, it was definitely a bit, a bit weird. Do you think it's good that supercars have just taken it by the scruff of the neck and, and got the racing happening, where I guess you know they could have taken that uh, the path of just not going racing at all? Do you, uh, are, you, are you a supporter of doing, doing whatever it takes to, to get racing happening? Well, they have to, mate, or they're out of business. It's that simple. If, if they're not racing... The teams don't survive. They can't park up. You know, they need the teams need to race to get income. They need the they, they've got a television deal where they, where they need income from the television deal. So, you know, they need to do whatever they need to do to keep racing, which you've seen them do, which is pretty commendable. You, you're living in a society where everyone wants to just stop. Well, some people can't afford to stop. That's exactly right. Yeah. Um, so just let me take it back to the uh, your, your driver training stuff. I know you've got a lot of young guys who you've helped, some who you you spend like you know quite a bit of time with, and others who might only come up you know once or twice a month, maybe even once a year, just to uh, just to get a bit of a refresher. And I and I don't want to put you on the spot and don't want to single anyone out, but but when you do think of the the people who have come through. Uh, your doors there at Norwell. Who are the ones who have really stood out? Um, you know, maybe immediately, and you've you've sort of thought, "Oh, hang on, this 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 guy or girl's really got something special." Yeah, definitely Brock, Brock, like Anton Brock, and then uh, Brody Kostecki would put in that 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 sort of place as well. And Brody was always fast, and uh, but he needed other parts of his life sorted out for him you know not just his driving his driving and engineering ability is amazing he just needed a bit of direction in other parts of his life so it's not all about the track but yeah there, there's there's other young guys in xls there's a young girl called holly Esprey who's racing xls up here she's amazingly fast mm-hmm. um so you, you do see him come along for sure <laughs> What about uh, your son, Nash? He's uh, getting into racing. He's also on the tools quite a bit, learning learning how to go racing himself and, and prepare his own XL. What's his yep. plans? Is he going to uh, go supercar racing eventually or you're not too sure just yet? 
I think he'd like to, but he's got a he's got a bit of learning to do before then. He, he started off later, you know. He wasn't mm. interested in in car racing to about a year ago, and now he's just that's all he thinks about. <laughs> um, but but as I've said to him, mate, if you can't work out how to do it and how to work that out with all this shit lying around here in front of you, there's something wrong with you. So <laughs> there's yeah, you know, there's cars and trucks and equipment and all that everywhere. So. I'm not going to get up and lay it all out in front of him. It's up to him to work out how to put it all together and make it happen. What's his schedule for the year? He's going to do some Excel stuff? Uh, yeah, I think he's got some Excel. He's got a, maybe some 86 racing. Okay. They dragged the Super 3 car out of the shed the other day. They were working on that. So I think he's planning on getting... I think Brody's going to take him out to QR this week sometime and they're going to cut some laps in that thing. So Man. You know, it's it's like with all the other other kids. You know, I'll I'll help the people that help themselves. You've obviously sat um, beside Nash while he's been while he's been burning around various cars around Norwell. From a natural driver's point of view, did, you know, did, do you think yeah, he's he's got what it got what it takes? Yeah, he's got really good car control. Because um, when he was younger, all he wanted to do was drift and drive on the dirt. So his car control's awesome, which you need to have. And I haven't done – I purposely haven't done a lot with him. I've left it up to Anton or, or Brody to, to work out. But, yeah, he's quicker than me now in a car, so. That's, that's pretty good. That's, that's, that's pretty, pretty impressive. Good. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to have to lose some weight to keep up with yeah, him. Yeah, I was going to say, he might have a couple of extra, a couple of uh, kilos of ballast you might have to put in it to, for a real fair fight. Yeah, but that's right. I'm a, I'll be a BMX dad for a while and think he's faster. <laughs> Hey, uh, it, uh, there, there was a news story just in, in the past couple of weeks about the potential for yourself to uh, to restart a, a supercars team. Um, it would be uh, a mistake of us not to ask if that was uh, fact or furphy. Is it uh, is it something that you know you'd like to bring Paul Morris Motorsport back and and go compete at the top level or or even any level of Australian motorsport? Yeah, definitely. I think and the. The key to that is having drivers I know that can get the job done, you know. When you've got drivers that you know can get the job done and that's the key to it because, you know, running run a team is very hard and there's all these different things you've got to get in place. But if you've got drivers that can go fast and stick them in the car and do what you want them to do, it's that, that's something I get excited about. I watch, you know, Anton within Erebus and and think, oh, well, if, you know, there's things how they run their race team, which I would do a little bit differently and I know would help them go faster, but you don't have control of that. Even with Brock at uh, Tickford, you see how they run their Super 2 car, you think, well, there's things you can do that would make that better. So um, that that's really the inspiration behind it. But I think um, yeah, it's a, long, a long-term plan. What? How, how long-term would that be? Is that something you've got your eye on? For the next couple of years or, or even further than that? Well, they need to work out, supercars need to work out what their car's going to be. Um, that's that's the next thing. To, to do anything before they come up with the, the concept of what they're going to be racing would be stupid because the, the cars you got now are just engineering, masturbation, they're over-technical. <laughs> you know, they, they, they bring out a control shock so then everyone goes and massive engineering push on to 
on, on anti-roll bar progression and degression. You know, there's so many open ends on that car and that, that needs tidying up before you'd even contemplate it. Because, you know, you, you've got to race Roger Penske and no one can. Yeah, that's a uh, it's, it's a it's a hard task, and uh, as as competitive as ever. ever. Uh, running your own team, as you know, you you uh, you saw some highs and and you saw some lows. Doing it yourself, is it is it the com- competitive um, itch that you know you'd like to scratch? Is that also you know one of the desires to get back in? Uh, no, for me, it's more about the potential I see in the drivers. Because I like one thing that really pissed me off is. I had Tim Slade and I took him and took a chance on him and we got into a point where I was like, yep, yeah, i got a young driver. He was starting to beat Russell and I got the Castrol Oil sponsorship and I couldn't get them to believe in Tim Slade. They wanted Greg Murphy. You know, I was in a, in a position where I had to take their money and, and I, I, they wanted Murph and I wanted Tim Slade. Now, you know, I just knew that Tim Slade was going to be Potentially, with another year or two under his belt, uh, an awesome driver and something I wanted to do, and I, I'm, that's what I want to do. But I, it's frustrating, you know. It's frustrating when you've got the potential there to have everything, but you need a driver that's a young driver that's on his game. And this is no disrespect to Murph and Russell, but they are at the back end of their career, hanging on, and they just didn't have the speed of those young guys. Well, I think Tim proved you right. Uh, I think a year or two after he left, uh, and this was just prior to the introduction of Car of the Future, he went on to finish fifth in the championship with with Stone Brothers Racing. So uh, I think you were you were on the money, but um, yeah, shame that others couldn't see that vision. No, it's, but that's always the case. So that's really what it is. It's you know unfinished business in. Getting, getting the right drivers and giving them the opportunity. Now, dude, we thank you very much for your time. Before we let you go, uh, we should ask about uh, your um, online TV show, Enforcer and the Dude. Just yep. tell us tell us how, how it all came about, and, and uh, I think you're up to about 18 or 19 episodes now. What's it? Uh, what's the future for the program? Um, we just shot episode 18 today, actually, so... It, it keeps evolving and we're doing different things. So we did some stuff with some classic cars and that's, you know, we're doing some stuff with, with Greys Online. That's been really good for us. Um, but, yeah, that's Russell. He's, he obviously, you know what he's like when he gets determined about something. So he, he was obviously pissed off about how the Fox Sport thing ended. And he come to me and said, I got this idea. And, and I was super supportive of it. And it works because he he has he has the vision of what he wants it all to look like, and I don't really know what he's going to do till I turn up on the day, and I think that's what what makes it believable. Sounds and, very similar. <laughs> yeah, and I'm not I, I don't care who I upset. I think that's what people um, like as well. A lot of the comment we get back is, "Oh, you guys tell us how it is." So. Well, you've got a, a huge following, a huge following, and uh, I, I must admit I do tune in quite a bit and do enjoy that uh, side of it where you don't really give a shit and you say whatever's on your mind because, as you know, it's uh, everyone's got to be PC these days and probably not say exactly what they think because they don't want to upset anybody and I think you're at a stage in your career and life and, and also with Russell that you can just say whatever comes to mind and whatever is probably correct as well. 
Well, yeah, well, that's a different of opinion, Tony. So that's, I think that's what people like. I mightn't be wrong, but it's my opinion. And if people don't like it, they don't have to watch it. If they do, they can, or they can comment on it. But mm. I think I think that's what the sport lacks, you know. Like when Tony Stewart left NASCAR, who's the guy that says what everyone thinks? There, mm. there isn't a person there anymore. And yep. supercars don't, don't really have that. You know, if I was a driver and I'm trying to hang on and still make money in the sport, I'm just going to sit on the fence. Well, that's, that's probably the easiest thing to do, really. Because if you say one thing wrong, then suddenly everyone's all over you. So it is quite a yeah, tricky Yeah, well, you look at Jamie Winkup. Mm. He's got the right to say whatever the hell he wants. Mm. And even when he does say something that he's got an opinion on, like when the Cam Stewart's messed up that deal in, in New Zealand and he yep. had an opinion on it and, and he expressed it in a way which we all thought was a bit tongue-in-cheek because we all know they go out and get on and drink red wine at night but we'll see him do it. <laughs> and then the, the world was going to end. Like, the yeah. sport should have got, got, got supported him and said, no, he's right. So really? even a guy like him must go, oh, why even bother? Mm. We actually spoke to him last week on our show and, and sort of spoke about what motivates him and he was talking a lot about the competition of yep. the sport and he just loves, yep. you know, racing. So I think that's what keeps yep. him coming back. But a you know, really competitive guy. He's achieved everything. He doesn't need to prove anything to anybody. So I totally agree with what you're saying. And... and uh, we are really, really thankful for you coming on the show today. Uh, thank you for your time. We know you're a busy boy. And uh, we look forward to the next show, Enforcer and the Dude. Yeah, good on you guys. Keep up the good work. Thanks, dude. Enjoy. Well, there you have it. He certainly didn't disappoint. Uh, a few little uh, bleeps in yeah, there. Yeah, there's only one. There's only one that I, I had I think there's a in. couple, actually. Was there a couple? Yeah, I think so. Oh, damn it. There's a couple. Uh, great to have a chat to him. Uh, he's doing a great job with some of the young drivers up at the Norwell Complex there. And uh, he seems to have a real passion for it now, sort of nurturing some of those young guys and gets a lot out of it. Now he's not doing a lot of racing himself. So, you know, he's got an amazing facility up there. And like you said, with Nash, you know, he's got cars and trucks and equipment and personnel to, to uh, draw from. So uh, those guys that get to spend a lot of time with Paul can really accelerate their career. And, uh, you know, some of the guys have been through his school, so to speak. Anton, Brock Feeney, Brody Kostecki, they're the guys that are getting really good results right now. Yep. Yeah, it's cool that he's got the little school and the tuition. I can't imagine it being a place where you, you get a uh, you, you arrive and you get your book um, <laughs> and, and a manual on, on how to do it. It's, uh, you know, get yourself in and, mm. and get going. He's got so much experience. I tell you, there's one story that I did want to quickly tell about Paul and his father, Terry. So when I, when I used to work Motorsport News and Speed Cafe, I got to spend a lot of time in the supercars garages watching races and watching sessions just unfold and i guess the way the a, a journo may work is that they can just roll between garages and mm -hmm. you've got that access i would always find myself going into the old paul morris motorsport mm. and standing somewhere within earshot of terry morris yep. and listening to him follow a session now whether it was a practice session or whether it was a race particularly a race he was awesome to stand next to because mm. I, he would be able to unravel the race before it actually sort of rolled out itself mm. he he'd just be able to predict what was going on he had such a good grasp of understanding 
what was going to happen. And I'm sure, you know, just a, some of that mm. had ru- has rubbed off on Paul because now, he, you know, we've seen Paul in that strategy role, in that inner team sanctum role that uh, some supercars teams use him for. Him and his dad just know exactly how motor racing happens. Oh, they've been around it a long time. I think what makes the driving school so successful is Paul doesn't sugarcoat things. So, you know, if there's a particular area that you need to work on, it's a bit of tough love, I think, and that's how he'd operate. He does tend to pick a certain type of driver. And what I mean by that is all the guys that have gone through the school and and succeeded have had the same sort of driving style and attitude. And it seems to be those guys that are happy for the car to hang a little loose and maybe, as we, we say it, rag it and push the car beyond what it's capable of uh, more often than not and that's not always the fastest way but i think the theory behind it is you can always tame that style of race driver rather than uh, a race driver that doesn't have speed and you got to try and egg them on to take more risk yep tony couldn't agree more great that we were able to grab the dude and maybe we might see him back as a uh, team owner in supercars, uh, depending on what the next generation of the cars look like. Mm. So we'll see. He's always, uh, it'd be good to have him back as a team owner. Uh, Okay, so before we leave you, Mm -hmm. there's a couple of uh, quick things to wrap up this episode of Parked Up, powered by Race Fuels. Next week, we'll have another episode of our highly... Uh, talked about uh, we spoke to them before they were famous we'll get a another yeah, young that's going kid well i like that yep uh, some good feedback from our uh, from our last one young bradley mayman and we've also got a prize to give away tony d another race fuels hat the very famous very fashionable race fuels hat this week we asked uh you guys on the parked up podcast facebook page Past or present driver, name a driver that starts with the letter R and the best answer is going to win a cool uh, race fields hat. So we had some pretty obvious ones. We had some pretty uh, left of field ones. I don't know. Tony D, do you want to, uh, do you want to pick? I can just kind I, I of... I know one. With it. I don't even know if it's on the list. but So we had some Rick Kellys. We had Ryan ah, Briscoe. Yeah, we had Rusty French, Ryan Simpson, oh, yeah. um, uh, Richard Petty, Richie Stanaway, Rubens Barrichello, Roland Ratzenberger. We had Daniel Ricciardo, David Reynolds. There was a lot of obvi ones there, but did you have a favourite that we're going to give the hat away to? You haven't said it just yet, but surely there's a Randy Corners. There is a Randy Corners in there. Do you want to give it to the Randy Corners? There we go. There was Randy Corners. So Craig Pearl, you said Randy Corners, who is the alter ego of Nathan Pretty. Uh, We haven't (laughs) seen Randy for a little while. Nathan, if you're uh, you're listening. I'm sure he is. We need to get Randy back out. Actually, one day we we might be able to do a, uh, a let's little, get him on the show next get, week. Do we want Nathan on or do we want no, Randy? We have Randy. On? Yeah, good okay. call. Good okay, call. let's yeah. get Randy. Okay, cool. Well, we can ask the question. Well, in any case, Craig Pearl, you have won yourself a race fuels hat. You'll be able to choose if you want it in black or in red. What red. would you choose? Red yeah, or the red black? looks good. I like it. There we go. It goes faster. That's it. Episode 18 of Parked Up has come to an end. Have I forgotten anything? No, absolutely not. Okay. Good night, good day, good luck.